Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, January 27th, 2023. Today, as we do every week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me again today. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. Donald Trump is back on the campaign trail and back in the book world news, Andrew. Lawyers for the former president have warned New York attorney Mark Pomerantz that he could face legal consequences if he goes ahead with his tell-all book, The People vs. Donald Trump, which is set to be published on February 7th. Yeah, once again, the former president is back, threatening to sue over a book, and absolutely no one is surprised. (laughs) You know, uh, this time, as you said, the embattled former president is threatening author and former New York criminal prosecutor Mark Pomerantz over the forthcoming publication of People versus Donald Trump, an inside account. Uh, Pomerantz is one of the lawyers, of course, who investigated Donald Trump and the Trump Organization in New York for potential financial crimes in his book, which is out next month, purports to explain why, uh, in his opinion, Trump himself should be prosecuted and why he believes that prosecution hasn't yet happened. Now, our listeners may recall that Pomerantz actually made headlines last year when he quit his post on the team investigating Trump and his resignation letter was leaked, which fueled speculation that he was quitting because Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg Uh, apparently put the brakes on a criminal prosecution of the former president. The book, uh, this according to press materials released from the publisher Simon & Schuster, purports to offer a behind-the-scenes look at the evidence against and the case against the former president. So, you know, with that, cue the Trump lawyers uh, in a letter this week, which was shared with PW. Trump attorney, who is a high-profile criminal attorney here in New York named Joe Takapina, uh, Trump attorneys warned Pomerantz and Simon & Schuster against publishing a book that they say would repeat which Takapina says are false and defamatory statements against the ex-president. I'll quote his letter here. If you publish such a book, and continue making defamatory statements against my client, my office will aggressively pursue all legal remedies against you and your book publisher. Uh, and Takapina adds that he will zealously use every possible legal resource to punish Pomerantz and Simon and Schuster. Now, in response, Pomerantz issued a statement late Monday vowing to defend his book and standing by his previous statements. Uh, and Simon and Schuster officials responded by popping champagne and dancing with joy in the halls at the prospect of so much free publicity and marketing. And okay, I I can't exactly confirm that, but I'm pretty sure Simon & Schuster is absolutely thrilled with the former president's threats. And that's because history tells us, Andrew, that while Trump's lawsuits against authors and publishers usually don't succeed in court, they invariably succeed in selling books. Exactly. You know, and we've come a long way. Think since 2018, when Trump, who was still president, who was president at the time, not even still, he was just still in the first part of his term, sent a widely publicized cease and desist letter to Macmillan imprint Henry Holt, trying to stop author Michael Wolff over his book, Fire and Fury, inside the Trump White House. Uh, At the time, that was a big deal. And we were all rightly concerned about a sitting president trying to intimidate a publisher not to publish a book that was critical. Uh, And then Macmillan CEO John Sargent drew a lot of admiration across the industry and outside the industry, frankly, for very publicly standing up to the former president. Of course, in an interview at the Frankfurt Book Fair that fall, uh, Sargent confessed that his first reaction was, uh, and I quote, 
we're going to sell a shitload of books. <laughs> and they did. Uh, the book had been this very sleepy little title that was somewhat overlooked. And then overnight, because of Trump's threats, uh, listeners will recall that Macmillan was suddenly scrambling for printers and the book was out of stock everywhere. And because it was out of stock, people wanted it more. And it just rocketed to the top of the bestseller list and really became quite the phenomenon. Uh, and of course, Simon & Schuster, has been down this road perhaps more than anybody. In fact, definitely more than anybody. They've got the Trump, you know, legal strategy down to a science. It's like they're, they're requiring editors to have an algorithm or something to pick out books that they know the president's going to pitch in with publicity on. Um, our listeners may recall that Trump unsuccessfully sued Simon and Schuster and his niece, author Mary Trump, in New York State Court seeking to block publication of her memoir, Too Much and Never Enough, How My Family Created the World's Most Dangerous Man. And because in large part to that publicity, that book went on to sell more than a million copies. Simon and Schuster also faced a very unhappy Trump over Amorosa Manigault's book about Trump called Unhinged. You can guess that was a little critical of the former president. And then in a really, actually, a much more chilling attempt, it was the Department of Justice that actually did Trump's bidding by seeking to block former National Security Advisor John Bolton's memoir, The Room Where It Happened. Uh, that effort failed, but the Trump DOJ then undertook a year of what was very ugly criminal and civil litigation before finally dropping the case against Bolton. Trump's Defense Department, meanwhile, tried a similar tactic uh, to stop former Defense Secretary Mark Esper's book with HarperCollins from coming out last year. And you know what is really chilling about those efforts is the way government resources and practices were marshaled in a way to try to protect a president. Now, these efforts were thankfully unsuccessful, but I personally still think we need to really broadly reform the way these things are handled, especially in terms of the government's pre-publication review process and its requirements. But all's well that ended well in those cases, eventually anyway. And, you know, this current effort by Trump to intimidate Simon & Schuster and Pomerantz, I have to tell you, it just has, you know, zero chance. In fact, it's comical that it has such a small chance of ever being effective at anything other than selling books that Trump, you would think, doesn't want you to read. Well, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg disagrees about the legal question, though, Andrew. He expressed concern about the forthcoming book, noting that it could hamper an ongoing investigation into Trump's activities. Does Bragg have a point? Not really, no. You know, in terms of the DA's concern, they asked to review the manuscript, but it's highly unlikely that anything in that would, would stand in the way of publication. And, and as for Takapina's letter, I think that, you know, the threats here are so absurd for one very simple reason. Because if Trump were to sue, he'd have to sit for a deposition and talk about things he may be facing criminal liability for, right? Let's not forget the investigation Pomerantz was a part of has already yielded a guilty verdict and a maximum penalty for criminal tax fraud against the Trump organization. And it's already sent Trump's uh, CFO, Alan Weisselberg, earlier this month to jail for five months. Uh, and, and Bragg says the investigation into Trump is actually ongoing. So, you know, I highly doubt that there's anything that the, the New York district attorney is going to do to stop publication. I can understand his concerns, but it certainly seems like the last thing Trump is ever going to do here is open a civil suit. Meanwhile, orders for the book jumped this week after Takapina's letter went public. So, hey, you know, a little more juice for the AAP's February sales stats. Uh, but look, it's easy for me to sort of frame this as comical and kind of laugh at Trump's absurd challenges to books that dare challenge him. But at the same time, 
it's hard for me not to note the climate of fear and oppression that the Trump era and Trump himself has ushered in. You know, seeking to squelch publication of books and stop free speech is a serious matter. And as ridiculous as I think Trump's personal attempts are, we should note that the current wave of book bans and classroom gag orders and threats to librarians and booksellers is very much tied to the rise of Trump. And these efforts are very real and very scary. The presidency of Donald Trump very much ushered in this disturbing movement around the country where institutions are no longer trusted and the media is the enemy of the people and everything is politicized. You know, to see Trump in the headlines over a book five years after Fire and Fury is a reminder to me that we're still very far from being in a good place when it comes to our politics and very far from being in a good place when it comes to our idea of free speech. This weekend, Andrew, you're reporting for PW from New Orleans at the American Library Association's LibLearn X conference with the freedom to read an important part of the program for librarians and publishers. Yeah, absolutely. Here in the great city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana, where the attorney general kicked off his campaign for governor by introducing an anonymous snitch line where people can rat out libraries and schools for making books available that, you know, some people may not like. You can't see me. We're on a podcast here, but I am shaking my head in disbelief. But this is what's happening around the country. You know, no question, book bans uh, and the increasingly dangerous library workplace are going to be a topic of discussion here in New Orleans. Uh, for example, last week, I reported in my library's column that eight states so far in 2023 have introduced bills that would remove, quote, defense from prosecution exemptions that exist for librarians and educators. In other words, these bills in these states would explicitly place librarians, educators, and other professionals under the threat of prosecution under state obscenity and harmful to minors laws. You know, I'll give you an example. In Montana, House Bill 234 was recently introduced. That would subject librarians and teachers, museum workers, anybody in a position like that to criminal liability for displaying or disseminating materials that some people might find obscene to minors. And this is the thing. There's not even a good definition of what's obscene in any of these states. The good news is that there is opposition to the bill. And I'll quote Sam Forstag here of the Montana Libraries Association, who kind of nailed it when talking to reporters, telling them that this bill was part of a national strategy, which is true. And I'll quote Forstag here, that was meant to stir up anger, fear, and make us forget about the decency of our own neighbors who do these jobs. Very well said, an important point. Uh, meanwhile, we learned about a new training document intended to guide librarians in Florida on choosing and removing and curating books. And now we're seeing social media posts about librarians in Florida and, and teachers in Florida covering up their classroom libraries, this to be in compliance with new laws that were championed there by Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, among this new training that's going around Florida, this document's provisions would state that librarians and educators are prohibited from using instructional materials that include things like critical race theory or culturally responsive teaching or social emotional learning or social justice or any other unspecified unsolicited theories. This is according to the document that may lead to student quote indoctrination. Uh, I don't know how you make any sense of that. And frankly, librarians and educators are struggling with that. Uh, experts say this new training is going to ratchet up self-censorship on the part of librarians because they're understandably fearful of violating the rules, which could, in fact, lead them to be prosecuted. And that, in turn, is going to lead to students losing access to diverse perspectives. 
which of course is exactly the point of these laws. Uh, meanwhile, PEN America is sounding the alarm of, over a slew of uh, new state laws that are actually targeting drag performances. I just where we are now is just astounding to me. Fourteen bills have been introduced in state legislatures so far, and they very clearly come in response to the wave of drag queen story hours in public libraries and bookstores. You know, I look forward to talking with you next week about what went on here in New Orleans and the Libler Next Conference and how librarians are feeling. But you know, it's hard to take Trump seriously sometimes, right? Because his actions can be so kind of clownish and clumsy. But I think, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that Trump's attitude towards this stuff and his actions really have had an impact. And we're seeing it kind of manifest in very scary ways at the local levels and the way people treat books you know, in our libraries and schools. Uh, so something definitely to be concerned about. And I'm sure we'll have much to talk about in the podcast next week. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer. Thanks for your reporting and your analysis. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on Velocity of Content, Nico Fund is president and academic publisher at Oxford University Press, which began printing books in 1478 and operates one of the oldest and most prestigious of university presses. He recently discussed with me the challenges he and OUP face from the marketplace of ideas and from colleagues keen to redefine publishing and publishers. I think that the changes that we've seen uh, that have have kind of rolled over the social landscape, the academic landscape over the course of the last uh, four or five years, particularly, not only are leading the lasting change, but I think have already led to lasting change. We've instituted a series of uh, guidelines around uh, how we ask our authors to do their work, how we ask reviewers to think of the peer review process, certainly how we hire. So I think there's been a lot of uh, those changes have already been implemented. Uh, and I think once those are implemented, they don't tend to, uh, in my experience, get, get reversed. A university press changes with the times. Next on CCC's podcast series. That's all for now. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts. And please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.